Good morning. I think it's good. Is it hot? We're hot. The thing just broke, so it's going in my pocket. I'm good at breaking things. Hi, my name's Craig. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10 on this uh, amazingly wet week and day. And for those of you who are skiers or snowboarders, this is your weather. I love it. I wish we could get like 40 feet of snow here in Auburn and like 20 degrees, kill all the fleas and ticks. People with built-in insulation are loving this weather. Um, Just one quick word. Uh, One of the most asked questions around here is, is, hey, um, I'm... I don't know, like, I feel sometimes like I need prayer. I want to, when do I go in the prayer room? You go in the prayer room anytime you want to go. You see that door, it's open. Even if it's closed, you go in there. There's somebody who'll meet you in there. They'll pray. They're actually here during the week quite a bit. So if you are a little timid about going on Sunday, go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever. Uh, That door is always open and there's always someone that will meet you and uh, pray with you. And so never, never, never let fear hold you back from uh, seeking the Lord. So that's just a a boldly go where some people are afraid to go. Uh, You you please don't ever hesitate about getting up and going and uh, praying. Um, A friend of mine uh, shared uh, some stuff with me uh, this week that kind of altered my um, view of the John 10 passage, and um, it uh, has rattled me, so I, I want to share some of that with you, and then we'll just kind of spring into the text. Um, there are 125 imperatives that Jesus makes in the Gospels, 125 imperative statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels. Um, what's kind of surprising about that is 21 of those imperatives deal with the topic of fear, or anxiety, being afraid, 21. And eight of those imperatives, the the next largest cluster, is um, based on the greatest command of of loving your neighbor, you know, love God and then love neighbor. So um, I don't know about you, but it's kind of shocking when you kind of think about that, that Jesus spent more time in all that he said dealing with the fear that people have or things that they're afraid of. Um, Because, you know, you would kind of think, hey, it's pretty important for us to get the big deal of loving our neighbor and and loving people, which is a big deal, by the way. And uh, maybe fear has, you know, something to do with that. Um, I, I think you would agree with me that fear can be either healthy or unhealthy. Fear can be either healthy or unhealthy. And healthy fear is usually rational and will protect you. Uh, if you go on a hike and you climb a mountain and the wind begins to really blow and you feel like it may blow you off a ledge or a cliff, what are you going to do? You're going to drop down, you're going to get low, you're going to get out of the wind. Uh, and so that fear, the, the instincts that kick in within your body actually protects and saves your life. Um, there is also this idea of unhealthy fear that usually is irrational and it steals and robs from us from from living a full life. Um, 
you know, some people will say, well, the wind could be blowing up on top of that, so I'm not going to go on the hike. I'm not going to see the amazing vista of what God created because what if? What if? And fear will rob us of experiencing some of the most amazing moments of our life. And, and we would say, I think that you would agree that that's, that's somewhat irrational and because it's robbing us. And so there, there's this balance. It's kind of like the tension between truth and grace. There is some tension between healthy and unhealthy fear. John 10.10 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I mean, think about that. Jesus spoke more about fear than most anything. And I think that um, it, it has less to do with the absence of love and much more to do with how fear inhibits us. Because I think we all long to love and be loved. I think that that's just built into us. And yet, um, you know, people want to love more. And I don't think that that we don't know how or that we don't want to love, but it has a lot to do with how fear will chain us and restrict our ability to go after and give love. I mean, there are many people that are afraid to love. And I'm not saying that that may not be in some ways justified because guess what? Love leads to hurt. Love can lead to hurt. I think you would agree with that. You're not going to be hurt by someone that you don't love. You, You may be offended. You may get upset with them. But hurt, wounding comes from someone that you care a lot about, someone you have entrusted yourself to when they hurt you. How then has fear limited you? How has anxiety held you back? What bold move have you made recently in your life that you would say is an act of faith so that you can experience abundant life? Now, we can spend our whole life in the shallow end because we're too afraid of the deep end. But don't you want to dive into the deep end of love? Don't you want to swim around in the pool where love goes deep? And it's not just wading in the shallow where you're barely getting your feet wet. I mean, don't don't you want to experience love that literally brings so much to the table that it overwhelms you? Well, what inhibits our love? Now, last week we worked through John chapter 9. There was a man born blind that Jesus healed. Now, the the religious leaders had all kind of issue with the healing, mostly because it happened on the Sabbath, and they accused Jesus of being a sinner and a, you know, a horrible person. And uh, his parents are brought in because they, they think that maybe this is a scam. So they bring the guy's parents in. <coughs> Excuse me, and they say, hey, is this your son? You sure? How, how did he get healed? They're like, yeah, this is our son. We don't know how he got healed. We don't, we don't know anything about that. And um, they say in, uh, in chapter 9, verse 20, they say, we know he's our son. The parents answer, we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. 
he is of age, he will speak for himself, which is kind of an odd response. You know, if your child has been born blind and been blind all their life and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden they can see, I mean, it's not like you're going to go, shh, let's let's not talk about this. There could be consequences. I mean, you're going to be doing the floss in every other Fortnite dance that exists for all you Fortnite dancers out there. You, you are going to be celebrating. You are going to be uncontainable. And so their response is a bit strange. Matter of fact, uh, verse 23 kind of clarifies, clarifies, 22 clarifies it for us. It says, his parents said this because they were what? They were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. Jesus healed the greatest physical struggle this man had, and his parents give in to fear. Maybe we're seeing why Jesus spent so much time in the imperatives that he declared in the Gospels on this one subject of fear. I mean, let's just... Can we just be honest? What, what area in your life right now, what area in your life, I'm not asking you to speak out, just, just think through this, is holding you back. And, and maybe even you know what it's holding you back from. You know, they questioned the guy again in chapter 9 about Jesus, and he says, look, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, we talked about last week how he kind of gets in their faith. You know, he's got a little smart aleck to him. He's, you know, he's kind of rubbing them in this. And then verse 34, the religious leader says, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. What's interesting is this, the parents' greatest fear is that they're going to get thrown out of the synagogue, and it actually happens to their son because he's bold and he's unwilling, he's unwilling to, to, to hide and to cower from the reality of what's happened. In other words, his faith leads him out into some boldness that his parents won't. And so I, I do all that to say, we, we have to see that to understand chapter 10. Uh, Jesus goes and finds the man in the temple and he talks to him and the religious leaders are there. We, we kind of walked through all that last week uh, of, of the conversation that they hear Jesus having with the man born blind. And so John chapter 10 is Jesus dealing directly with the attitude and the heart of these religious leaders and how it impacted this man who was born blind and his parents. So John 10, 1 and 2, he says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. And the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, you're like, okay, Jesus, where did all that come from? I mean, you were just talking about making mud and, and a guy being blind, and now we're talking about a sheep pen. What, what, what's happening here? Now, the, the religious leaders would attract straight through with this. It, it wouldn't even have been a question with the, the illustration that he uses, but you know, for us, because, you know, we, we don't live in sheep pens and, um, but, you know, kind of visualize in your mind, a, a, a little village and in the middle of the village, maybe they, they've, uh, they've put some kind of barrier with an opening where they collect communally all the sheep 
And then there's someone who's hired. It's his job to watch the sheep. He's the one that guards the gate to make sure that the sheep don't go in and out without a shepherd there. And he's also on the lookout for people climbing over the barrier trying to steal the sheep. Okay, you got that kind of locked in your mind? Um, So he says in 10.3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Um, The gatekeeper opens, the shepherd calls, the sheep follow because they know his voice. I think we can all track with that. We don't need to do anything profound with it. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And the key point is, is that the sheep don't respond to the stranger. Okay. Now, verse seven through 11. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out. They will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he makes his next I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, Jesus says he's the gate. He's the entrance. He's the way you come into the kingdom. And the way you're able to move about the kingdom is through him. Those who who came before him, he says, are thieves and robbers. And then verse 11, he says he's a good shepherd. Now, remember, he's talking to religious leaders. So just stop for a minute and say, okay, what's going on in the Pharisees' head? What's going on in all these religious leaders' heads? I mean, they haven't been climbing over barriers trying to steal sheep. They're wealthy enough. They didn't need to. Jesus, um, Jesus would, would say, you know, if they looked at Jesus and go, hey, you're not making any sense. I mean, I, I don't even get this. What, what's going on here? Jesus would say, I would like to present into evidence, evidence exhibit A in the complaint and accusation that you are thieves and robbers by looking at the man born blind and his parents. What was the reason that they would not boldly declare his son, their son's healing? What was the reason that they would not acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah? It's one word. It's fear. They, they didn't follow the Pharisees. They didn't follow those religious leaders because they were amazing teachers. They didn't follow them because they had ministry going on. I mean, they were blowing up the town. They, they didn't follow because they were growing and maturing. They followed for one reason. There were consequences if they didn't. It was a system built out of fear. It was a system built out of fear of what might happen if you didn't do what you were told. He says that they followed the thief, afraid their lives would suffer if they didn't. 
Fear held these parents back. Fear held people in this village back. Fear held people in that religious system back because fear had imprisoned them in a religious system that was taking life and not giving life. And by the way, religious systems based on rules always take life. When fear, guilt, shame are common tools used to keep the sheep in line, it can be effective But there is no sense that life is lived to the full because you know you're always messing up and there's punishment. You know, we we, we talked about this several months back. You you read the rules, you read the law, you, you should or you shouldn't, you don't, you're bad. You should be good, you should follow the rules, you don't, you're bad. You should, you don't, you're bad. You should, you don't, bad. And that system has been used for generations and generations and generations in all sorts of ways. Hey, little Johnny, eat your green beans and be a good little boy. Okay, when you write as a parent, write your your complaint about me saying that, write it to Damien Horn, um, (laughs) because this is all his fault. Um, He's been in the back hide watching peek his head out. Um, you, you see this, and we all learned it. We, we all learned this. And we've passed this system on, haven't we? Not, not intentionally like we're trying to do harm to people, but if you're going to be a good boy or girl, then you got to do this or you don't do this. And we make the rules and we make the expectations. Well, what happens when they... You ever seen a kid, like you ever been over somebody's house and there's a kid sitting by themselves and they will not get up and there's a plate of food and there's like one little thing in, in the plate and they've been sitting there for like an hour and you're like going, what, what? oh, he, until he eats that, he's not getting up. And, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I don't know if I agree with that or not. And, and But yet you think about your own life and in some way, we've all bought into some type of that game. And we don't like to talk about that. And what that is, or, hey, if you don't clean your room, you're going to what? I'm, I'm, I'm taking the games. I'm taking the phone. I'm taking the computer. I'm taking the... And, and I'm not saying that's not effective, because it's effective for about that long. And, and we've all done it. I'm, I'm, I'm not, like, beating on that, but think about it. When you have people whose son is healed and they're afraid to celebrate the healing of their son for fear that they're going to be put out of the synagogue. When you've got people who are afraid to come and say, hey, man, I'm really struggling right now because I've had this happen in my life. Why are they afraid? They're afraid that they're going to be shamed and punished because they did something wrong. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. Jesus came to pay the debt of sin. Jesus came to overcome. Jesus came to unhook the chains that strapped us to the grave. Jesus came to break the barriers, to break the bonds, to tear the divide between the law and grace. And that system just keeps getting repeated and repeated and repeated. Fear had them imprisoned in a religious system that was taking life, not giving life. I mean, and it's a tough situation because do they follow the shepherd or do they follow the thief? And Jesus says the shepherd calls us 
to truth. And then people are like, okay, if the shepherd's going to call me, what kind of voice is he going to have? Is he going to be kind of like my, my parents or my grandparents or my uncle or my teacher or my coach? And it's kind of kind of like that angry voice. You know, that, 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 that when they say something, you're like, Ugh. is that how God talks? I love the word in 1 Kings 19 when Elijah is taken off and he's afraid and he's running and he, he hasn't eaten and he hasn't slept and he's just overwhelmed. And the Lord God said, verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood on the mountain of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, God has all the power in the universe. God can tear apart a mountain. God can blow things down. God can burn things up. But when God's going to communicate with you, he's not going to have a loud, angry voice. It's going to be a gentle whisper. Why? Because you don't need anything else to make you afraid. When you are trying to calm your child, when they are grieving and upset and afraid, do you scream and yell and bring them calm? Or do you get down on their level and do you lower your voice and you begin to stroke them and to rub them and hold them and soothe them? When God's going to speak to you, it's going to be a gentle whisper. When people tell me, oh, I heard God, and he was loud and angry, you didn't hear God. You don't need anything else to make you afraid in this world. You have enough. You're afraid that things are going to fall apart. You're afraid you're not going to make enough money. You're afraid you're not going to be enough. You're afraid of all this other stuff. God's not going to come to you and make you more afraid. And the people's going to say, well, you're supposed to be afraid of God. No, you're supposed to be in awe of God. You're supposed to be in awe of God. The good shepherd spoke clearly, calm, loving, reassuring, still, small voice. And when you hear that voice, you may not be ready to follow. Because you know what? Fear holds us back. It just does. Fear holds us back. And there's all kinds of ways that fear holds us back. I'm, I'm going to talk about a couple you're in a relationship, somebody you're dating, somebody you're with, and, and it's just, an, it's all sex. That's all it is. It's the only thing holding the relationship together. It's not a safe relationship. It's not a healthy relationship. You know it's not what God says is best for you, and yet you stay in it. You know why? Because you're afraid you're going to lose them. You ought to be afraid you're going to keep them. <laughs> You know why? Because they're never going to have to change because you've made it so easy for them to stay where they are and be who they are. Why would they change? They're already getting the benefit without any responsibility to change. And at some point you're thinking in your mind, well, if I do this long enough or if we, and they just marry me, then he's going to change. No, he's not. Or no, she's not. They're not. Fear saddles us into a life that is broken and will always be broken. Maybe you need to close a deal or it may fall through and a promotion's at stake or getting to the next level of what you think you want to be in your business. And you tell those people that you're trying to close this deal with whatever it is they want to hear thinking, well, I got time to work it all out and make it right. 
hearing God, hearing God ought to bring a calmness and give us the ability to handle life more gently, maybe even slower and prioritize. Now, this is my journey these last several years. I mean, this is my journey. And, you know, this this isn't like, you know, real fun to to talk about, real fun to to deal with, because this is like what I'm living every day. You know, you've heard me talk about how Jennifer has been praying this prayer, love over justice. I grew up in the justice system. And, And that's a hard system to get out of. You always want justice. And to choose love is not the easiest thing. And even not so much, it's not about getting on to and, you know, there being discipline and love and all that. It's about choosing that the way that I present what it is that I want to present will say more about how I'm perceived by those little kids in my family than what I say. It, it, it comes down to, is the gentle whisper of God bringing a gentle whisper in me? Now, you, you stop and kind of let that settle on you a little bit. Is the gentle whisper of God bringing a gentle whisper in you? That's a tough question. Because there are things that we get elevated on. Um, what is your area where you need to just not hear the voice of God, but you need to walk boldly in it. I don't know your area. I know for me, moving at somewhat of a slower pace, I don't know what really a slow pace is, but I'm trying to learn. And that's not all that easy because I'm used to going and doing and going and doing. That's just who I am. But I'm also realizing with the help of some people um, that sleep is actually important. I mean, I'm, I'm like a four hour a night sleep person. And I've been challenged by some people, you, you need to let your body sleep, which, hey, I think I'm like up to six hours. I mean, you know, I feel like Rip Van Winkle. I mean, you know, <laughs> six hours. And, and But what I'm understanding is, is that sleep has a lot to do with your gut. It has a lot to do with your body. And, you know, this journey of, you know, because I'm never going back and lift weights again. I've did away with that 28 years ago, praise God. Um, but you know, I know some of you are thinking you probably need to do that. But I, I'm, I'm trying to learn a, a system of rhythm and health. And man, that's not easy. And so if it's going to work, then God's got God's to direct that. God's got to direct that. But it's, it's not just trying to be calm in a moment. It's trying to let calmness rule the moment. And man, and so... Um, and there's always an excuse why you shouldn't do that. Um, a friend that shared some of this with me uh, shared Ecclesiastes 11.4, whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Um, in other words, there's always a reason why you shouldn't do what you know you need to do. Oh, look, the wind, that's a bad time to win. It'll scatter the seed. You can't do this. Or, oh, look, there's a cloud coming. It's going to rain, so I don't want to get wet and... And there's always a reason. There's always an excuse of not letting God, but mostly it's fear. We're afraid of what it's going to look like. We're afraid of what we're going to have to give up. We're afraid of what we're going to have to change. We're afraid that we're going to have to love somebody we may not want to love. And so my question for me and my question for you is, is where do you need to step out in your calling? Where, Where do you need to get involved and let go of the excuses? Is it time for you to get going doing what God has been speaking to you for years and years and years?
I mean, God's calling us to trust in the middle of our pain. Wounded sheep have to learn to trust the path and the care of the shepherd. You know, Psalm 23 is this beautiful image of the shepherd who feeds and nurtures and gets the, the sheep to the still water. You know, but wolves in ancient Palestine would, would blaze through the weeds and make paths and sheep are prone to stray and they see a path and they would wander down the end of it to their death and destruction. A shepherd would catch that sheep wandering off, would go and get the sheep and take one of the rear legs and take his rod or his staff, and he would break that rear leg. And then he would bandage it up. And that little sheep would, would stay close to the shepherd because when it got to some difficult places, the shepherd would have to pick that little sheep up and get it to where it needed to get to get through the rough patch. Well, that's, you're like, the sheep, the sheep got beaten by the shepherd. No, he didn't get beaten. He got disciplined. God loves those whom he disciplines. No, God disciplines those who he loves. Why? Because he knows if we wander off in our own path, in our own way, destruction is waiting. I mean, how many of us could testify going our own way and oh my gosh, what laid at the end of that path was absolute pandemonium. Some of us are still living with the consequences. Doesn't have to have power, but you still live with the consequences of wandering off. <coughs> and so here's, here's the deal. You know, last week we talked about this idea of what now. Instead of, instead of asking who's, who's to blame and who's at fault, the real question is, is what's now? And in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of our fear, can we just step back and trust him? Can we trust him? John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You, you realize that, that our ability to trust God in the middle of our mess or in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of what's making us afraid, may be the only explanation for others to see that God is good because our circumstances may say something different entirely. We may find ourselves in some circumstances that people around us are going, and don't you believe in God? I mean, and it's our proclamation. It's our proclamation that our trust is in God and God alone. He laid his life down. He went to the extremes for us. So here's just a couple questions. We're going to wrap up. What is in the way of you following faithfully, joyfully, consistently where you're hearing that still small voice of the shepherd? And maybe even more importantly, what is in the way of you following faithfully, joyfully, consistently where you are hearing that still small voice of the shepherd just underneath the megaphone of the thief? What is inhibiting you from following? You name your fear because we all have them. I... Uh, was doing some research just looking at this passage of, of this idea of the good shepherd. And I came across a, a writer named September Vaudry um, who wrote a book back in 2013 uh, called The Colors of Goodbye. And it's the journey of her losing her daughter in a car wreck. And um, um, I 
found out that some people had already been introduced to that book, and, and Judy Emmert, Emmert was uh, one of the one of the f- ones that knew about this book, and she passed it on to some people who were struggling and grieving with the loss of a child. And so it directed me to her blog, and I was just reading some of her blog and and her journey of dealing with her dealing with her greatest fear that was losing a child. These are her words. They'll be on the screen as well. She wrote this in June 21st of 2013. Actually, her daughter died in 2008, excuse me. And the entry of this blog is, is a new way to count the years. Five years ago today, I stood in the little hospital's ambulance bay, hands trembling, trying to dial my mother on my cell to tell her the worst possible news. Inside the brick building behind me, my 19-year-old daughter lay in a coma after a near-fatal accident, unresponsive, absent. The sky above me was deep spring blue with tufts of cottonwood drifting by on balmy breezes, stark against the towering oaks and the maples of that historic Elgin neighborhood. In the distance, a lawnmower hummed the soothing, monotonous tune of early summer. The serenity of that scene crashed against my awful reality. I couldn't think. I couldn't remember my mom's number. I couldn't make my fingers to push the right keys. Rattled, numb, shocked. Is this happening? Is this real? Then suddenly, a hush swept over me, and I heard his whisper. I am good, I sense God say. This circumstance doesn't change my character. It doesn't change who I am. I am good. Good? Could this be true? What if? What if the worst of things happens? The worst of things did happen. Katie didn't pull through. A few hours later, she was pronounced brain dead. Then we donated her organs. Then she died. That was five years ago, and I hadn't known such agony could exist this side of hell. I could taste the pain, a sickening metallic flavor under my tongue each morning when I awoke as the fog of sleep would fade and throughout each day and into my dreams, her death shocked me anew. If you've lost a child, you understand five years later, I'm still shocked. But I have survived slowly, slowly as moments turn to days, then to weeks, then to months, into years, the tsunami of pain receded and the waves crashed less violently on the beach of my soul. And whenever an undertow of sorrow threatened to pull me under, I found the comfort and the strength I needed. Not enough for months or weeks at a time, but enough for each moment. God's presence was like a miner's lamp in an ink black cave, showing just enough light for the next step and no more. He showed up through the people who rallied around us, the meals they delivered, the cards they sent, the silent compassion they expressed, standing sentinel alongside our family as we grieved. We were carried in those days, truly. His goodness showed up too. In the private moments, moments when I was alone in my agony, railing against our new reality, God's unbending gentleness didn't flinch. He didn't recoil at my anger. He didn't shame me for my despair. He simply was. Gentle, tender, present. I felt him. Always near, but never intrusive. The blanket of his embrace never slipped. They say I have experienced the deepest pain a human can experience, the death of a child, and yet the sun still shines. Slowly as those first weeks had turned to months and then years, I had sensed a subtle shift inside, 
Small splashes of joy had begun bursting through the clouds of sorrow that hovered overhead, tentatively at first, but soon without apology. And eventually, life once again began to hold more joy than sorrow. My life was indeed still beautiful. The whisper had been true. This circumstance had not changed God. His steadfast character had held him. He had carried us through. We will always feel the shock and the searing ache of Katie's absence. But the always is actually an until. Until the someday arrives, until the next reality, until the other side. And as I stood there, my back resting against the chain link fence, it hit me. It has been five long years since my eyes have beheld my daughter, since she flitted out of my kitchen door on her way to work, and I watched her drive away. And with each passing year, that distance grows greater. But today I am five years closer to seeing her again on the other side. Perhaps this day marks not the fading distance behind me, but the approaching reunion before me. Five years less time until I step across that veil in the next reality and hold her in my arms once again. Five years ago today, I had wondered, could it be true? Is God really good? Yes. Yes. He is good. He is good indeed. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but it undid me to think about those moments that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be death. It can be any of our circumstances that the enemy intends to steal and rob and kill us of life. And we've all been in some circumstances where it robbed us of life because we didn't know if we were going to make it. And some of us didn't even know if we wanted to make it to deal with the consequences. And yet there was the whisper. It's hard to hear at times because we were so caught up in the confusion and the anger and the angst and the frustration and the shame and the guilt and the what if. And then God slowly got us to the what now. Maybe some of you aren't even at the what now yet. You're still dealing in the, in the why. And so the question is going to keep coming back, is he good? Well, for some, the jury's still out. For some, we're uncertain because life has just been too painful because life has been too hard. And all we hear is the chaos. All we hear is the chaos. Well, somewhere underneath that megaphone that is screaming, you're not enough. You're not pretty. You're not thin. You're not smart. You're not worth. You're not. You never will. There's a voice. It's been speaking just above, but yet below that megaphone. And his words are, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. I came to give you life and life that is abundant. The thief and the robber want to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And somewhere along the way, we're going to have to push back against the chaos and the noise and the frustration and just be so that we can hear and let that whisper soak deep in our soul. We've got enough chaos. We've got enough chaos. There's something about just hearing that voice in the midst of everything else where he reminds us, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And that may be the only word that you need to hear because it may not have been the word that the people of the chaos ever spoke to you that you felt settled with. Isn't it funny that the people that hurt us most will, will, will loudly proclaim their love for us? And yet there's God with his gentle whisper and his daily reminders of his presence that he is there, he is good, and he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, as we just think through those moments, Lord, where fear has shackled us, where it has chained us, where it has, God, sent our mind in a million directions. Lord, could could we just have some moments this morning where where we will just push out against the chaos and the noise and listen with open souls and open ears and open hearts and minds to hear that gentle whisper, the creator of the universe, declaring yet again his consistent steadfast love for his creation. And so, Father, wherever we are this morning, Would you give us what we need? Would you give us our daily bread in the form that we most need it today? Lord, to to just be, to just be. And Father, soak in, be saturated with, marinated in the wonder of your love. Father, that's our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Communion is set up front and the back. Take some time to just enjoy the body and the blood and what God wants to say to you and come back and let's just worship. Whether we just sit and let the the worship team sing over us or if we join them wherever you are. And remember, that door is always open. Let's have communion today.